I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Jane Garvey. And I'm Fee Glover. Off Air with Jane and Fee is going live. We are taking to the stage at the amazing Crucible Theatre in Sheffield on Friday the 31st of May. It'll be a night full of surprises. We'll have a special guest, we'll involve you in the audience and we'll embarrass ourselves. You really won't want to miss it. Well, the surprises, we don't yet know what's in it, so it genuinely is a night of surprises. Well, you've surprised me already. Uh, It's not just us. Our live show is part of an exciting new podcast festival called Cross wires which is taking place in some really amazing venues across sheffield from the 31st of may to the 2nd of june so other podcasters that you'll be able to see include katie price Catherine ryan romash ranganathan and the original adam buxton but there's also a whole host of free fringe events family shows surprise acts and after parties that jane and i haven't yet been invited to i'm sure it's only a matter of time head to crosswires.live for tickets and more information Over the next few days, the secret operation, which had been months in the planning, involving Belgian police and reportedly the intelligence services of five European countries, continued to raid homes, hotel rooms and parliamentary offices across Brussels. A number of high-profile figures, including a vice president of the European Parliament, were arrested. And charged with participation in a criminal organisation, money laundering and corruption. What emerged was a tangled web of alleged corruption right at the heart of the European Parliament, involving a glamorous senior politician, a former MEP, suitcases of cash, and a country that wanted to launder its reputation ahead of the World Cup. The European Parliament will hold an emergency debate today on allegations that Qatar tried to buy influence over its policy decisions. The European Parliament has been engulfed by a corruption scandal that's shaking it to the core. Watchdogs believe this could be the biggest corruption scandal that's ever hit the European Parliament. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. 
Today, Qatargate, the scandal that's rocked Brussels. I'm Matthew Campbell. I'm the Foreign Features Editor at the Sunday Times. And so I've been covering foreign stories for quite a few years now, traveling around and reporting from different parts of the world. Well, it was in December last year, and the police operation was called Mezzo. It had been over a year in the making, and it involved phone tapping and surveillance, and it unfolded like something out of a crime thriller. I mean, it sounds extraordinary. The sort of thing you see when they're trying to take down organised crime. Who were they actually raiding? It wasn't organised crime at all. This was a group of people working in the European Parliament, including the vice president, an MEP called Eva Kaili. Kaili was one of 14 vice presidents in the European Parliament which is made up of 705 members, or MEPs, elected by the member countries of the European Union. There was also her boyfriend, Francesco Giorgi, an Italian parliamentary assistant, and a former MEP, uh, Italian former MEP, called Pier Antonio Panzeri. And... That's quite an unlikely target for, for an operation like this. And it's you know, not just an MEP, but quite a senior one. Just paint us a little picture of these three characters. Ava Kaili, she's 44. She and her boyfriend were a glamorous couple on the Brussels scene. They had filled their Facebook pages with images of them skiing in the Alps and sailing in the Aegean. And... They were described in Brussels as the Brangelina of the EU Parliament. Kaili in particular <laughs> was known to have had a fairly sort of glamorous lifestyle, traveling around and being seen with quite famous people. You know, there's a photograph of her on her Facebook on Necker Island in the Caribbean with Richard Branson. In the Brussels context, it really stood out. And what about this man Panzeri, the third member of this group? Tell us a bit about him. He ran this organisation, Fight Impunity, and he had attracted the attention of the authorities of this investigation, which began months before. Panzeri's organisation claimed to promote the fight against impunity for serious violations of human rights and crimes against humanity. Noble aim, but Belgian secret services, acting on a tip-off from a still unidentified friendly intelligence service, broke into his house. They found €700,000 under his bed. €700,000? In cash? In cash, yes. <laughs> in bundles of banknotes. They left it where it was and removed all traces of their intrusion, but they started spying on him to find out what was going on. And so what happens next? They leave the money where it is. How does that end up in this raid? The intelligence services, which are known as the Sûreté de l'État in Belgium, they handed the case over to 
an investigating magistrate. And he began investigating, and it was he who then ordered a series of raids on the morning of December the 9th. Police then broke into Panzeri's home again, <laughs> and they found a slightly lesser amount than they had before. I think it was 380,000 under the bed, actually, and another 320,000 euros in a safe. So he was arrested, and Francesco Giorgi was also picked up by police. Kylie, uh, who denies any wrongdoing, heard about this on the news, and without realizing that she was under surveillance and that her phone was being listened to, she made several phone calls. She tried to reach Panzeri, but he was already under arrest. And then she called her father, who was visiting from Greece and looking after their two-year-old daughter. He had taken her out for a walk in the stroller. She called him back to the flat and handed him a huge sum of money. It was in a suitcase. I told him to take it to a hotel nearby where somebody would come and pick it up. And then she was arrested. And presumably they were tracking the suitcase. Yes, police arrested the father not long after when he was at the hotel or near the hotel. And he was briefly detained and then released. And Matthew, what made the police and the intelligence services look at her and her partner, as well as Panzeri? So Panzeri, we know there'd been a tip-off and there was money under his bed, but what drew them to, to this glamorous couple, the Brangelina of Brussels? The investigation has laid bare a scheme in which various members of the EU parliament are alleged to have been approached and they're accused of agreeing, basically, to help Qatar with its image problem. It was having a, a hard time persuading people that it wasn't encouraging slave labor by paying a pittance to lots of workers from abroad who were building the stadiums and not allowing them to leave and taking their passports away and things like that. And it also had a terrible reputation for mistreating people in the LGBTQ community. Panzeri, as a former member of the EU Parliament, had made very close contacts with the Labour Minister of Qatar before he was in that role, in fact. He then became very friendly with Kaili and introduced her to various Qatari officials on various visits to Qatar. So, Matthew, the Qataris clearly want good publicity. How do the prosecutors say they went about trying to get that in Brussels? Panzeri had established contacts with the Qataris years before when he was an MEP. Having gone into the private sector, he set up this fight impunity human rights group, which had a very lofty ambition. The reality was that it was doing anything but fighting impunity. In fact, the opposite, because Panzeri was making these comments about Qatar being a standout in terms of labor rights and human rights. And basically, any opportunity that he got to sing the praises of Qatar, he would take it. At the same time, the investigation has discovered, with the help of Francesco Giorgi, who's been talking to the investigators and has done a, a deal with them, According to Georgie, 
fight impunity was effectively just a front for taking money from the Qataris. And the other members of the organization uh, didn't necessarily know. Uh, on its board of directors, it had some very illustrious figures from former French prime ministers to other stalwarts of the EU. Gosh, that's awkward. Yes. It's alleged that the money was being laundered effectively through this organization, but some of it was also ending up, as we've seen, in various safes and apartments around Brussels and under Panzeri's bed. But as for Kaili's involvement... Today, the World Cup in Qatar is a proof, actually, of how sports diplomacy can achieve a historical transformation of a country with reforms that inspired the Arab world. As the vice president... She has been on the record speaking in favour of Qatar and the improvements it supposedly has made in the realm of workers' rights. She denies any wrongdoing. Despite the challenges that even European companies are denying to enforce these laws, they committed to a vision by choice and they opened to the world. Still some here are calling to discriminate them. Do we have a sense of what sort of evidence the authorities have to back up their beliefs that this is money that's being laundered from Qatar? Well, there's the money and there's the testimony now of not only Georgie, but also of Panzeri. He too is cooperating with the investigation and has done a plea bargain. And so... He and Georgie have both been explaining how this worked, how much money they took. You mentioned earlier that, you know, they'd clearly been watching Kylie and her boyfriend before the raid happened. Do we know what they'd managed to spot from their surveillance of these three characters? One thing that they were aware of was how important the protagonists in this affair thought that the the Labour Minister of Qatar was. And he was coming to Brussels to give a presentation to the Subcommittee on Human Rights. And this was a week before the World Cup last year. So he was due to speak at this event. He arrived a few days before it was due to take place. And there was a meeting in his hotel room <laughs> with Georgie and Panzeri, and they effectively, the two of them, had written the speech for him that he was going to make to the subcommittee. And the investigators know this because they heard the two of them rehearsing it before they went to meet the minister in his hotel room. And this is a, a speech that the minister would make? Yes, Panzeri wrote the speech and then read it out to Georgie. And of course, the police were listening in and they were also listening in when these two went to the hotel. They saw them crossing the lobby. And in fact, Georgie was wheeling a pushchair with his daughter in it. And when they returned from their meeting with Al Mari, who's the Qatari labor minister, one of the investigators noted that the bag, I think, that Panzeri was carrying looked a bit fatter than it had when they went in. Do we think that means that they're bringing cash out? That was the suggestion, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's remarkable. I mean, it's all very old-fashioned. 
In terms of the speech that we heard them rehearsing earlier, was that speech ever actually made? I can't say for sure whether it was exactly the same speech, but Al Murray did address the Subcommittee on Human Rights in the Parliament. And this was an extraordinary occasion where the whole issue of Qatar's abuse of workers' rights was supposed to be under discussion. Dear colleagues, may I ask you to take the, your seats? Chers collègues, est-ce que je peux vous demander de vous installer? On va commencer. I tuned into the session. You can watch it online. And it was a fascinating event, given that you could also see Francesco Giorgi sitting in one of the rows towards the back. And occasionally he's tapping at his cell phone. Now, according to the Belgian police who were watching him and others in the alleged network, he and Panzeri orchestrated a number of interventions by an Italian MEP and a Belgian MEP and another Italian woman who also made a speech that day in favor of Qatar, singing Qatar's praises. Obviously, lots of other MEPs made speeches being very critical of Qatar. We are talking about a World Cup which has been bathed in blood, and that's a political message. And for many of us, this will be a World Cup of shame. Whenever I see a football pitch, it always strikes me how small a football pitch is. Um, and I find the contrast so huge between the smallness of the pitch and the huge suffering and corruption that such a pitch can instigate. Although they were cut off after about a minute by the president of the subcommittee. Une minute, je te coupe la parole. One minute, Matabella. I'm going to cut you off if you go longer. Almari, the minister himself, was allowed to ramble on. From the start, Qatar has always been an open country. I mean, we have the policy of open doors to all those who want to visit. There has been always channels of communication between Qatar and the other stakeholders. Since the scandal erupted, Maria Arena, the chair of the Subcommittee on Human Rights, the one who forced people making speeches against Qatar to stop after a minute, whilst allowing the minister to go on and on, has now stepped down. It emerged that her office had not declared a paid-for trip to Qatar, which she blamed on her secretary. She is not a suspect in the case. But the idea that Panzeri, who wasn't there, was in contact with Georgie, sending text messages to and forth, and according to the Belgian police, telling him to prod Mark Tarabella, the Belgian MEP, to say something positive <laughs> and even giving him details of what he should say. Uh, for instance, claiming that the EU parliament possibly had double standards by criticizing Qatar, but having, you know, not criticizing years before the Russians during the Sochi Winter Olympics. Lots of colleagues. Uh, 2014, 2018, we didn't have all of this when we were talking about uh, Sochi or uh, Beijing or when the World Cup went there. He too was arrested for his alleged involvement in this, in this network. 
Mark Tarabella, the Belgian MEP who made that speech, has denied all accusations of wrongdoing. However, both Pier Antonio Panzeri, the former MEP, and Francesco Giorgi, his former assistant, and Eva Kaili's partner, are now cooperating with the investigating authorities. Antonio Panzeri has agreed to tell the authorities everything about the corruption ring that is right at the heart of this scandal, how they worked, how they financed, how they were structured. Eva Kaili, however, has always denied any involvement in the scheme. Another lawyer of the Greek MEP maintains her innocence in the case, however. I want to say to you that Miss Eva Kaili is innocent and has never been corrupted. Never. Kaili was recently released from prison and is now under house arrest. Her boyfriend, Francesco Giorgi, has told the investigators that she was not part of the network, but she knew where the money was from, quote-unquote. I think their relationship may have changed a little <laughs> over the past few weeks. <laughs> I think they've both uh, effectively been accusing each other. What will happen next at some point is a trial. But the investigating magistrate has a reputation for investigating very thoroughly. And I don't think anybody is expecting this to come to court any time very soon. There's a lot that we still don't understand about this case, whether any other countries were involved, whether any other MEPs were involved besides the ones that we've mentioned. So there are a lot of unknowns, and I think that some people expect more to emerge still in this case. And it's recently been revealed on the Politico website that the Qatari minister, Al-Mari, had organised trips to Qatar for a number of British politicians too. And some of those politicians later spoke glowingly about the country ahead of last year's World Cup. There was no suggestion, though, that any had broken parliamentary rules. Coming up, with Brussels still reeling from the scandal... How was it possible for a corrupt scheme like this to take place in the European Parliament? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot of people listening will be quite shocked. You don't expect this sort of thing to happen in Brussels. I mean, we've had a number of scandals in, in this country recently, but we, we very rarely hear of anything on this scale. Is it unusual in Brussels? There have been cases of corruption or allegations of corruption 
Years ago, of course, people may remember when the entire commission resigned under Jacques Santerre. Over again, allegations of corruption. In those days, it was um, Edith Cresson, I think, had been found to have given a job to one of her friends, her dentist, I think. And there were all sorts of stories flying around about fictitious jobs. In other words, people giving people jobs when in fact they were not working in the parliament or in the EU commission, but were working back in the country where the politician came from on their election campaigns at home, things like that. So there has been a history of this sort of thing, but nothing ever on this scale. It's unheard of. And people were very shocked by it, you know, the idea of suitcases filled mm. with cash. And Matthew, why do you think it happens? The Parliament isn't really that powerful. The big policy changes come from the Commission. Why are MEPs such an attractive target for this sort of thing? It could be simply that that they could be bribed. The Parliament is an interesting institution. Years ago, it had a reputation as something of a retirement club for ageing politicians, an old politician's home, as it were. More recently, it has attracted younger European politicians at the beginning of their careers. But it has also drawn another breed of ambitious young politician who may be attracted by some of the perks on offer. Literally, it's a pretty good deal working as an MEP. You know, you get a very generous monthly salary. I think it works out at about 7,000 and something pounds a month. But also you get another 5,000 euros effectively to spend on so-called office expenses. But there is still to this day no accounting necessary for this. In other words, you can spend it on whatever you want and no one will ever challenge you. <laughs> so you can just pocket the 5,000 euros. And a lot of people do that. Now, this will attract perhaps what some people describe as the wrong sort of politician. And that if there are people who come to the parliament for money, then of course, they are liable to be interested in any other opportunities that may arise for making even more money. This is what may have happened in the sense that the Qataris are happy whenever any official of the European Parliament says something positive about them, frankly. And so the more people they can get to say positive things, the better. And if they have to pay for it, well, then, you know, they can. And is there something about MEPs that just makes it slightly easier too? I mean, is there less oversight than you'd have here? Less accountability? Yes, and I think you've put your finger on the problem there. For years, various transparency groups have been calling on the EU to implement its own rules. It does have rules about such things in terms of registering your interests if you're an MEP. MEPs yeah. to this day are allowed to have second jobs. It's not an issue. There is a register. But uh, these rules are continuously abused. And a lot of MEPs don't bother to register gifts, free flights to countries such as Qatar, incidentally. Really? Uh, one senior European uh, official on the commission 
the Transport Commissioner, resigned from his post not so long ago because he failed to register numerous free flights to Qatar at a time when he was involved in negotiations with Qatar on issues you know, relating to air traffic. This seems incredible, I think, to outside observers, but in the context of what goes on in Brussels, it doesn't seem to many people that unusual. I mean, when you've spoken to groups who were worried about this, I mean, what did they say? The immediate scandal when it erupted in December prompted all sorts of talk. The idea was that this would bring about reform. And on the contrary now, nothing appears to have happened. When I was in Brussels, I met Michel van Hulten, a former Dutch MEP, who's the director of Transparency International, a global organization that fights corruption. And he puts this down to what he called a culture of permissiveness, of impunity, that allows people to get away with things that you wouldn't be able to get away with in, in the real world. And as long as the, that system is maintained, the parliament will continue to uh, be plagued by scandal. And he was hoping that this scandal would prompt uh, reform, but says that on the contrary... They don't want to change it. Uh, we kind of had hoped that Qatargate would finally change this, but we're already seeing against huge resistance sort of the reactionary forces are out there trying to stop the rules being changed. And the real danger is that we'll end up in a situation where in six months' time, in a year's time, not much will have changed. And Matthew, has the EU Parliament commented on all of this? Because it must be quite a bleak period for them. There will be no sweeping under the carpet. We will launch an internal investigation to look at all the facts related to the parliament and to look at how our systems can become yet more watertight. There will be no business as usual. The EU has launched an inquiry into the affair and they've frozen all business relating to Qatar. And it seems there was a proposal to grant Qataris visa-free travel to Europe that was under discussion in the EU Parliament. This has been put on ice. Kaili has been stripped of her role as vice president. I would say that it's the end of her political career. And what about the Qataris? Have they reacted? Well, they've denied any involvement in corruption or paying money to MEPs and have sounded quite indignant on the subject. And Matthew, you've been a foreign reporter for years now. You've been all over the world covering stories. How does this compare to, to corruption you've seen in other places? I mean, just, just how bad is the scandal? Well, the investigation goes on and there are so many things that we still don't know about this. And in fact, you know, it's widely anticipated that a lot more will emerge. It's done huge damage to the EU's reputation. This is an appalling blow to Europe. I've worked in Latin America a lot where corruption is a daily issue in, in most countries in that region and in other parts of the world too, in the Middle East, obviously, 
and to the same extent perhaps even in, in Asia. But it's just not something you really expect to find in the heart of the European Union, particularly, again, you know, this reference to suitcases filled with cash and cash payments to politicians. And as the Greek vice president of the parliament said, Mr. Papadimoulis, it doesn't do Greece's reputation any good, but also Italy. The more difficult is to, to build, and it's very easy to destroy and to see again the stereotypes. Glorious Greek lady with the Italian gang, yeah. with the suitcases. So the damage for the European Parliament is huge. The damage for, for, for Greece is much stronger. It's terribly damaging, I think, whether or not any of them are found guilty. The sense is that the damage has been done. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Sunday Times Foreign Features Editor, Matthew Campbell. If you're a subscriber, you can read more of Matthew's work at thetimes.co.uk, including his recent article on the secret documents that reveal how Iranian Revolutionary Guards have been attempting to kill dissidents on British soil. It's an amazing piece. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you can, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.